My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. What happened to me? Did I lose my talent? Am I ever going to be good again? Well, I am happy with the cast that I've chosen. I never was a debate master. That's my nephew, actually. Like, legit. Medals, ribbons, and such. Me? Not a chance. Never a master... (laughs) 15-year-old Austin Powers joke. Passing, passing. Anyway, never a debate master. I I lack certain qualities, okay? The quick wit, for one. Okay? I'm no Jeff Ballou, all right? An ability to stay on point for another. I mean, what are we, 45 seconds in and I've already already derailed a couple times. Ultimately, I lack the ability to go for the jugular, okay? You got to have that. You got you to gotta see that thing presented, sink your teeth into your taste blood. And that's just, that's not me. I don't have that. I don't even get that far. See, I get tunnel vision. I get tunnel vision in a debate. I don't think through my next move. In a debate, in any any disagreement, <laughs> any disagreement of any kind, frankly. I mean, see me in the car. This is not a guy thinking through his next move. Let's see. I was a bartender for roughly 15 years, okay? Small joints, big ones, dives, bougie money pits, whatever. One common thread among them all. Drunk people are the worst. The worst. In no other public-related service industry gig, not even food server, okay? In no other public-related service industry gig is it acceptable to put your hand, your physical hand on the person doing their job, scream in their face, uh, and then also demand a manager. And with some fairly reasonable amount of expectation, experience some success in that and getting something for free. (laughs) It's just weird, man. Bartender, no rules, apparently. I've been punched, sucker punched, grabbed, groped, put in a headlock. And of course, spoken to like a street urchin in a Charles Dickens story. I have been treated this way so many times, I, I can't even, there's no way I could remember, okay? And all because I was the guy behind the bar. Oh, I had to wait longer than, you know, I wanted. And my mom says I'm special. So, you know, that's not acceptable. Not acceptable. (laughs) Unacceptable. This is unacceptable. This is a term we should stop using. Okay. Retire it, America. So many times. Irate, drunken buffoon. You know, makes a scene. And so many times the exchange ends in verbal and or physical violence. But each time. Each and every one of those tangles, even the ones I won, which was not all of them, I walked away with regret, wishing I'd handled the situation better, you know, handled it with a little more wit and class and humor, you know, less rage. Never did I look back and go, wow, I handled that really well. Or, or, or even, hey, that was funny. Good one. Or, or even further. Ooh, this is the this is the tough one. Huh. I handled that like Jesus. Hmm. So why the tunnel vision? 
Why the battle shakes? I'm sure a therapist could weigh in on that. Uh, Maybe I'll try that someday. Probably not, but maybe. But I see that this is not good, okay? It's, I know it's not good. It's never been good. Always been bad. This is my least favorite me, in fact. You might be asking, what does Jesus have to do with any of this? Well, he was quick. You know, he was quick-witted, if you think about it. His answers cut through the BS and went straight to the heart, right? He saw where folks were attempting to lead him, and he cut them off at the pass. But more, he was ready. He was always ready. I mean, separate the winning and the and the crushing somebody. I'm never ready. <laughs> he was always ready. He was the apologist. And, you know, aren't we trying to be like him? I mean, the least we could do is be clever and witty and ready, right? Prepared, confident, always ready in season and out. See, there's something, there's something sneaky in there. Something that uncoils, okay? It puts a hitch in my giddy-up. See, I think it has to do with pride. Jesus may have been the apologist, but he was always about his father's business, right? He wasn't debating with some drunk buffoon at a bar, but he also wasn't trying to win a debate and get a medal. Now, the question is, am I? Am I about my father's business? If we approach debate, in particular with regard to our faith, okay, and at any point we have our own valor or bravery in mind or reputation uh, to defend the faith like a hero, you know, Apostle Paul meets the Punisher, tough but true or some nonsense, are we about the Father's business? And if we know deep down that we truly are not, Doesn't something falter there? You know what? (sighs) That's where I'm going to leave this soapbox I've found myself standing on. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, And I'm going to say that today we're going to back up a little. Okay. We're going to back it up. And um, well, here's the thing. I appeared on the Pastor With No Answers podcast with uh, Bad Christians, Joey Svedson. This is back in January this year. I agreed to do the show with a sort of naive expectation. You know, it was presented as a as just a little conversation, you know, between myself, uh, Joey's brother, Jared, Joey himself, and a guy named Godless, who is an atheist and the host of the Metal Sucks podcast. As the show approached, I realized it was going to be more than that, okay? And actually a full-on debate, and I should have expected that. It's the natural, logical destination of such an ambition, right? I should have expected it and then declined because I'm not a master debate. (laughs) I'm not a debate master. So that's what I did. I said soberly, hey, that's not for me. Sorry. I didn't do any of that. As you know, I'm sure some of you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to hear it. I did what I always do. I got tunnel vision and I started plowing. With all the confidence, you know, proudly knowing that when this was over, I was going to sit back and be victorious, you know. I went headfirst towards a brave and valiant victory for the faith, ready for my medal. (sighs) You can probably guess how that actually worked out if you haven't heard the debate yet. Well, good news. This week, we're going to revisit this. (laughs) 
we are going to revisit uh, one of my least proud moments. Uh, in my opinion, a disaster. But not with the purpose of rewriting history, okay? Side note, for the sake of fully appreciating the content, I suggest going back and listening to it in its entirety. That's The Pastor With No Answers, episodes 15 and 16. Anyway, we're going to revisit it, but this time I'm bringing in some help. Someone who can help me see where I, where I may or may not have turned, zigged where I should have zagged or whatever. Now, again, not with the purpose of rewriting history, but frankly, to better answer some of the questions posed, okay? And who knows? Maybe turn it back into a conversation, which was hopefully the goal. Hey, I lost the debate, but, you know, I think life is worth a little more than that. Mostly due to the urging of my beloved wife, Stephanie, a.k.a. Fifi, I reached out to the last pastor who had any real impact on either of us, okay? Uh, Mike Erie, who was at the time... The, uh, the, the pastor for a Costa Mesa church called Rock Harbor. But currently, he and his co-host, the awesome and gracious Andy Lara, are behind the website subversivekingdom.com. That's subversivekingdom.com. And the podcast extension uh, of that podcast, Vox. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, by the way. We'll give links and whatever. Anyway, check it out. I mean, it's good. But I reached out to them. You know, sent an email. And they responded. I don't know them from Adam. But uh, next thing you know, we're having a couple of lengthy conversations, all three of us, discussing everything from the bomb garden, the glacial conversion of my <laughs> creepy bomb shelter into a studio, which might happen sometime this century. Um, football, beer, Florida, mosquitoes, the usual, you know. But ultimately, we talked about the debate. And... Uh, Mike and Andy agreed to go back through portions of it with me and sort of see what was really going on and maybe, just maybe, what I missed. So that's what you're about to hear. We'll discuss some points of the debate and, uh, you know, a few other things, everything from the emptiness of apologetic zingers to uh, the beauty of honesty and, as promised, whether or not I'm an idiot. (laughs) Some of these questions are easier to answer than others. So, hey, enough of me all alone. Let's turn on our ears and let them hear. Enjoy. But first. So, we discussed a couple podcasts, uh, Pastor With No Answers and Vox OC. Um, just really quickly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to the Patreon link, click on the uh, little donate button or whatever, throw a couple bucks in the digital tip jar. That would be awesome of you. Done with the stumping and the shilling. Um, I would like to tell you about something that I learned leading up to the show. Andy Lara mentioned to me uh, a program called The Liturgists. Now, it's huge, so you've probably heard of it, but old man Mark has never heard of this thing. So I went and checked it out and I'm telling you, there's some great conversations going on on there. And uh, in particular, the black and white episode I thought was, was pretty, pretty eye-opening. So yeah, that's my fake ad for the week. Go check out the liturgists, go to subversivekingdom.com, go to pastor with no answers, support these guys, help them out. Let's keep this thing going. Thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy the show. 
I think that what I want God to be is ad, as advertised. If if God wants my <laughs> as advertised my by f- God damn it by the freaking <laughs> Bible or by the freaking uh, 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 you know any of the religious books. Which if if you're gonna say that this is a a a uh, character that loves me, loves my kids, loves everybody, then act like it. If 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 you want my faith, then do something that would encourage it to happen. If you want my uh, uh, praise and 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 devotion, then do something that deserves praise and devotion. But none of this stuff is the best way to do anything by any moral standard. Pain and suffering. I think is 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 a uh, you're really bringing up sort of the problem of evil, and it is a problem in in any religious uh, uh, in any religion. Um, you can have suffering, you can have pain that exists without evil. Problem is, is that the world does have things that are even more awful versions of themselves for instance you know if a if a child uh, were to die die in their sleep in the middle of the night it's an awful tragedy parents go through it, it you know it, f- from <laughs> from the christian perspective it's like well for everybody who survives it's going to suck but you're going to come out better out of this at the end of the day it, it really sucked for the person who died but we're not going to you know think about that too much yeah. but the problem is is that well, all right. If the child dies in their sleep, yeah, okay, that's a that, that's that, that's an awful tragedy. But well, how about like dying of a, a disease that causes debilitating pain for months, or a child who drowns to death, or some of the most like horrific deaths you could possibly imagine? Why would God? or a God, or a loving God specifically, choose those kinds of ways for somebody to die or to suffer rather than just letting them go and letting the people left behind well, why, suffer. Do you have any kids? You have kids, right? Absolutely. Well, why Why would you let them as a two-month-old, why, or, or let's, let's go two years old, why would you let them lay on a doctor's office table while you help the doctor hold them down while they get three shots in a row? It's super, super painful. And from your kid's perspective, they see it as, Dad, you, you're supposed to be on my team. Why are you letting this guy inflict such pain and agony? Well, you can easily not explain this, but you very well have it in your mind of, man, my son just can't understand, but this is good. Like are in you, the long run, this is good. Are you possibly trying to equivocate a child drowning unnecessarily with a child getting a, a shot so that they could not get a disease? Well, what what if what if there were what if that son was growing up in a household where he was going to be beaten and sexually molested and God took him home early? I have no idea. But, but why, even well, so, why wouldn't God choose for the child to just die in their sleep? Or even better yet, why wouldn't a loving God swoop in and 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 do something? I, I always find this amazing, this idea that this God is this all-powerful and all-knowing and so fantastic and so loving, and yet so helpless 
it can't, it can't, doesn't seem to be able to do anything that's good. It's always like, well, uh, this uh, is the best he could come up with. My response to that, as far as this God being as advertised and why would he do this this way and why wouldn't he do it that way? I mean, that's a, I think that that's a very convenient question to ask. And it's all coming off of what your definition of what a good God would be. And since there's going to be a million different definitions, where do we go from there? And while some people may not like this response, and, and trust me, within Christendom, I guarantee you there are plenty of people who don't like it. I don't think God works that way at all. It doesn't, he hasn't given any evidence of that in the Bible. That's the other thing. As advertised, I heard that. The, the God in the Bible is not someone to hug. This is not the God, this is not the God that we are are, are proclaiming and, and, and claiming to believe in. This is, I mean, read Job. That's not the God, that's not that that makes no sense. That book makes no sense. If if that's the way you're going to approach, why doesn't God do this or that? That book makes no sense at all. And it's because it's coming from our perspective. I, I submit that if if he is whom he says he is in in this in the Bible, he doesn't really need to explain anything, and he doesn't need any of us, not just you, but me or anyone else here to buy what he's selling. We either obey that will or we don't. And there is a certain logic there. If you're the, if you're the creator of the universe, if you're the definer of right and wrong, what you say goes. Whether or not we like it is not really the question. If you are that who, who he is claiming to be, our definition of right and wrong is really irre- irrelevant. And, and, and that's a good thing, actually. That's a horrible thing. I think it's a good thing it's, because that's what if, if that's we were subject planes to, into into the World Trade Center. If you were subject, that's the that's, same you different make, you, thing that you, you bring up a very good point. You bring up a very good point. Those guys who did what they did to the World Trade Center were acting on their own beliefs. What they believed was the right thing to do. That's there's a group of people committed to what they believe. So if right and wrong is going to be defined by people like that, we are all fucked, man. But if right or wrong is being defined by people like that, people like that have got nothing on the things that the Old Testament God was doing on an almost daily basis. Exactly. I'm not so, saying that. I'm so, not saying that they do. I'm saying so I, their definition I, I of reject, right and wrong means. I, I reject all of it. And it, it, this is where it comes into. We go from atheism to almost coming to anti-theism, which is something that I don't necessarily want to go to because my agnosticism stops me from doing so. But anti-theism would be the idea that even if this God did show himself, I'd still tell him to screw himself. Well, thank you for responding to my email. I mean, I when I sent it to you, I honestly didn't know if it was going to go into a large file of multiple questions so (laughs) stoked that i actually heard back and that we have a chance to talk i mean ultimately this is about uh a nightmare (laughs) i had in real life but we've all had them i found myself in a debate that i you know i knew it was a debate but i don't think i really knew it was a debate right right and i certainly didn't think much about it you know i think 
partially the problem, and this is definitely something that uh, I wanted to talk about in this conversation, is this tendency of of people raised in the church in America. And I only say that because I wasn't raised in the church in anywhere else. Right. Um, people raised in the church in America to see debates as this opportunity for our own uh, pride to have the satisfaction of being victorious, to display my power and my valor and my intellect. And yeah, the that truth was, is- You were 0 for 4. I am not that guy. <laughs> I'm much better, uh, you know, I'm much better at, at making sure that my dog doesn't go to the bathroom in the house. That's, that's important. Like that. So, you know, part of my, my, my issue, I think, is just even entering into a situation like that sort of somewhat blind, uh, partially blinded by my own expectations, um, but also, I just really wasn't ready for a debate. I was ready for a conversation. Right. But, you know, I should have known better, really. Yeah, but, but here's, you know, when, when you reached out, the thing that was so compelling, bro, was um, the idea that we, we wanted to have a conversation about the conversation. Because I think we've all been in situations, maybe not as public, um, where we walk away from that conversation and just go, dang it. Yeah. I should have oh, yeah. said this. I could have yeah. said that. I didn't know what I was getting into. And so I think it's really cool to be able to kind of go back and revisit um, that conversation because it's, it's for me, it's not so much about the, the individual you were having a conversation with. It's more about when we find ourselves in those places, what are, uh, what are the kinds of ways we want to make Jesus beautiful in the way we respond, right? E- even when right. we're, we're in over our head or we're unprepared or, or whatever it is. So I just thought it was so cool that you you were you were willing to kind of revisit it because it was fascinating for me to spend. Um, I've listened to him twice, uh, oh, and again wow. yesterday, um, and just wrote a bunch of notes. You know, I just thought yeah. I thought there were many great parts to it, and I didn't think it was nearly as horrifying as you thought. But I see why you felt that way. Yeah. Well, it just it at certain points it starts to feel like everything i mean i'm not kidding i get tunnel vision so bad i get it in everyday life and in confrontations i get it in situations like this i'm i'm much in in all honesty i feel much more comfortable just with a an exchange of emails you know <laughs> <laughs> yes i think that's what we've all grown accustomed to that we can say whatever we want without pushback in the moment and we we think that's the most clear way to well, yeah, and, across. and truthfully, I'm not afraid of the response of somebody as much as I'm afraid of of misstating my own position right. or, or even just saying something stupid and hurting somebody's feelings or, I don't know, putting on airs. There's there's no room for it. There's no there's nothing is served by that. So I don't want to I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's important. Uh, you guys have mentioned it in our in our talks leading up to this, and I'm definitely wanting to say it now. Like this is not uh, a chance to go back and really get godless with a zinger, or you know, that's there's again pointless. There's no reason for that, right. and I'm I really just want to explore the conversation and um, and have you put words in my mouth and make me sound smarter. Okay, well, I'm just going to quote from C.S. Lewis, who evidently is a complete <laughs> idiot, but at least he sounds good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, as you went as you went back, um, 
I love I love the idea that that anytime it's an official debate, we're more concerned with winning and looking good than yeah. we are with actually exploring where the other one's coming from. So I love that as opposed to conversation where it's much much less about me versus somebody else. So that's a huge thing. But when you were when you were going back and listening to it, what were what were some of the things that uh, caused you to feel the way that you did coming out of it? I would I think. The real, the thing that sticks in my head all the time is my, my position on, on the authority of God has always been looked at as sort of cold and calloused. And I don't see it that way, <laughs> but I know other people do. And I want to communicate that better. And I feel that I didn't communicate that very well in our conversation. I mean, I still maintain, even going back and listening to it, I still maintain that the only logical way of looking at morality is that there is a final authority on morality. And I'm sorry to have to do this, but that is definitely something I learned from C.S. Lewis. Right. So <laughs> as you can imagine, from step one of a, of a debate I wasn't truly prepared for, to have one of my biggest sources of <laughs> of explanation just shot down as a fool instantly. It yeah. was a little distracting, you know. <laughs> and again, that's a debate tactic that I'm not familiar with, I think. Sure. Which is fine. It's, you know, truth is truth, so it shouldn't matter. And I believe that that's true. I I I cannot I cannot accept a universal morality uh, and especially not one that's described as as having empathy for other people when we're not universal. We're not universal people. We're we're speaking from the perspective of Americans in a safe place with uh, running water and food right. to eat. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. to me that's an incomplete picture. But well, it's like- not only incomplete, but it felt inconsistent in the following respect. There's no evolutionary advantage to empathy. There's, if you take, for me, if you take Imago Dei, the image of godness out of human dignity, then there's utterly no consistent, for me, basis for the treatment of other human beings that are weaker. Um, there's, no, there's no absolute uh, sort of authority to decry racism or sexism or, you know, to, to say the disabled should have a place at the table. And, and so, you know, I don't, uh, the idea of, as you were kind of putting words to the idea that there is this bedrock thing, I don't think I was listening to that going, yeah, I mean, how, how C.S. Lewis has this great line. How can you tell a crooked line unless you have a straight one? Right. And so yeah. how, how, as somebody who says that all morality is community-based, how can you then use your community-based morality to critique another community's morality, right? right? There's right. just, there, there's sure. absolutely no. And so you were, I think you were, you were onto something there. What, what part did you feel like was cold? The slavery bit? Well, more, the, you know, going back and listening, there's, there was this whole long passage, which I'm sure I'll drop in here. Going back and listening to it, there was a, a, a part of the discussion regarding, you know, Holding down your child and giving your child a shot, right? And maybe you know, 
trying to explain to your child this is good for you. Right. And and to where Godless made a, a great comment, are you equating that to uh, the death of a child and God saying, hey, this was meant for your good or the suffering of any any person as as your God saying, hey, this is a bigger picture type of situation. You know, that to me, my response to that could be seen as somewhat cold, you know, just to, okay, if this is the divine will of the definer of righteousness and evil and the definer of goodness and love, then yes. You know, I know that's seen by a lot of people as a cop-out, but I I can't see it any other way. Give me another way of seeing it. No, here's what's funny. This is as old as Greek philosophy. Is if the gods, as they would say, or we would say God, if the... If God is defined and and um, held to account by something called the good, then the good is greater than God, and and God it, it boundaries God. In, in other words, mm-hmm. it exists apart from God. Whatever this good is, or is it? And this is what you were were kind of hinting at. This sort of divine fiat. Uh, if God says it, um, then by definition, it's good, right. even right. if. It uh, it offends whatever moral sensibilities we may be carrying in American culture in you know 2016. That is a hundred percent where I'm at. Yes, that's where my but, mind. But that but the, it's fascinating because this has been a, a discussion uh, about the divine's relationship to the good for literally thousands of years. And so you guys, when I was listening to it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, and 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 so that's you know if I were. Um, if I were in a similar situation, uh, I I always answer the problem of evil a bit differently. I always, I, and and I don't know where you are, like on the whole predestination. You know, is everything God's will? I, I'm very much uh, in favor of libertarian free will, which which means that there are other wills that are done on earth and in heaven, other mm-hmm. than God's. And not obviously, it's a hugely controversial theological position, but it allows me to say, listen. Um, what you said when you said about the parent holding the child down is that it is possible to have good intentions uh, to be compatible with uh, a subject not picking up on those good intentions, but instead picking up on the action at the moment that hurts. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's compatible. And that's a legitimate point. Then the extrapolation, which is what Godless called you on, was, okay, can you extrapolate that to the Holocaust? Can you extrapolate that, you know, to uh, the genocide in Rwanda? Can you say then that God, that there's some greater good that this is going to serve and that's why God did it? And so for me, God doesn't cause any of those things, but God uses them. So the way we say it, and I don't know if this would have helped or even you would agree with it, is that God is good, evil is evil. And God, God, God's commitment is to sovereignly bring good out of evil. So um, the the place I would I would change maybe the the scenario a little bit would be from yes, as a parent I'm holding my kid down and my intentions are loving and good and kind even though my kid doesn't receive them as such. You're saying, hey, you know, ten years from now they'll actually see that what I was doing was good and in their best interest. No such picture exists unless you're going to play the eternity card that someday in light of eternity, we'll see how this whole thing fit together. 
And that to people, yes, does feel cold, but but it's a very tenable theological and philosophical position, right? And the, some of the biblical writers say, you know, we're the clay, he's the potter, shut your yap, all right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's where we? I'm at, man. Who are we? But I also think the Bible opens up the possibility that evil is something that God doesn't intend ever, but that God permits in the name of freedom, which he permits in the name of love, and that his commitment isn't to um, sovereignly like do something bad to people in order to bring about a good, but rather he will bring about a good when bad things do happen. So I, I for instance, have a little boy with Down syndrome and, and uh, I, I had, when he was first diagnosed in utero, I had these huge conversations with a friend of mine who was saying, isn't it amazing that God would give you a child with Down syndrome? Right. Think about all he's going to teach you. And, right. and I was going, Really? So your picture of God is that he's given me a child with Down syndrome to teach me something. And that seems a bit like center of the universe, you know, narcissistic Super to me. Super morbid, yeah. So, but I was like, well, couldn't it be we live in a fallen world where birth defects happen or genetic abnormalities happen and it's not God up there causing it or picking and choosing, but rather it's God committing to bring good out of whatever it is that we would think to be evil. So, so I don't know if that helps reframes or anything. No, it does. I think what would, what would come back in that conversation and which came back in, in the debate that we had was godless's point would, or counterpoint better would be if this God is so good, why would he even allow any of that to happen in the first place? Why wouldn't he come in and save the day? And, but that's you know, when your but that's when your parent child example takes off. Because if the greatest, what's the greatest thing that God's interested in? He's interested in cooperative participants. That's why he mm-hmm. made us from the very beginning of the scriptures. It was we were not autonoma uh, autonomons, automons. <laughs> we were not robots. I, we were not I know autobots. where you're going. Automons. <laughs> Tato, dang it. We were not robots. We were not puppets. Right. And and in in the universe that God chose to actualize, love is the greatest value. And love has to exist with freedom. Freedom is a prerequisite of love, right? Okay. Love has to be freely chosen. It can never be compelled. It's never because then it's never love. I mean, in the way that God created the relational universe to reflect his own inner relationality and in his Trinitarian self, God actualized the universe. Where love is the greatest value. Love requires freedom. Freedom then requires choice. So yes, God could, as an act of brute power, have stopped Hitler, have um, have stopped me from sinning all the countless times I've hurt other people. He could absolutely stop murders. And, and who's to say he doesn't? I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, I believe that 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 prayer actually affects the things that go on. And so I believe there are things that God would do, but doesn't because his people have not cried out to him. And of course that would feed Godless's point of, well, I mean, how dumb is that? Right. But see, for me, the thing that, that, that I, I picked up on was the, the whole vision that many people have of what a relationship with Jesus is like and what it's for wasn't, um, he 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 had this, uh, and it's not specific to him. This is just true all over the place, even in the church. He had he had something that it, it felt very contractual. It's like if God is like this, then God should do this, right? And he spells that out, 
And you kept calling him on it. Dude, that's just, that's just you. You're just importing your own morality onto this whole conversation, which, which is a fair critique. Right. And does happen all the time. That's how people try to figure stuff out. Yep. But, um, oh, dang it. I lost my point. <laughs> Andy, thank you. Sorry. Autonomon. Uh, Autonomon. You were talking about contractual uh, setup. Oh, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like marriage. We can edit that so that you sound super eloquent. No, 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 because no, then people would know it's edited. <laughs> <laughs> right? My phone, my my uh, my wife called in our last podcast, and so we had to pick it up. So it's it, it's uh, anyway. All that is to say, it felt very much like. Um, and again, I'm sure he would disagree with even this characterization, and but I think he, but this characterization represents a lot of the way people approach this. That um, this thing is a contract and the contract is me doing religious things and God blessing and taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And the biblical picture of faith is much more rugged. It involves much more mystery and paradox and tension. It's much more relational. It's covenantal, obviously. And it's not an all or nothing thing. In other words, listen, if you disagree with, and you and you said this, I think in part one, you said, listen, my faith doesn't hinge on how old the earth is or Noah and the ark for crying out loud, right? The whole, the whole thing rests on who Jesus is. And if Jesus is what God does in response to suffering, then that's the best answer of suffering you're ever going to get. Right. Right. That he weeps, that he absorbs evil, takes it in upon himself. um, That he, even knowing the end of the story, he laments over Lazarus. I mean, it's the most beautiful picture of God. It's the opposite of cold. And, and, but you have Jesus saying the whole time, listen, I'm just doing what the father does, right? That's all I'm doing. I'm not, nothing's original here. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that, that maybe in that conversation, I would have, I would have began to sort of redirect towards is what, what did Jesus do in response to the evil that he was encountering? And what did that look like? And what does that say about what God's like? Because we have to move from our abstract, what the Bible forces us to do is to move from abstract definitions of God to this person that says, here's what God looks like with clothes on. Here's what God looks like with skin on, right? This mm-hmm. Jesus character. Mm-hmm. And he's the center of the whole thing. So it, it doesn't matter what you think about evolution or science or whatever else. Those are all battles we can have some somewhere down the road. To me, the whole thing is, look look at, if this is what God's like, this is the best news we've ever, we've ever had. Okay. Yeah. So, so I feel like you were absolutely right in, in holding the cons- consistent position that if God is God, God has every right to tell me what's right and what's wrong. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I just, I think what, I think what ends up happening is things are in, inver- they're just inevitably going to go back to the individual whom you're speaking to is, is going to ask, yeah, but why, but why, why is this happening? And for me, I think what I, one thing that I really missed there was, was the opportunity to continue that question. You know, we could say all these things and God, you know, if he's the definer of right and wrong and all those types of things are true, and then it, it can still come back. A person could still respond with, yeah, but if, that that doesn't change the fact that I'm hurting or that I'm I am in pain and that 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 I'm my heart is broken, you know? And yep. I think that's a valid that's a valid question. And it's something that we as Christian people need to not only um 
acknowledge, but try and answer. And that's where my coldness, I think, comes in is that I don't, sometimes I just don't answer it because to <laughs> me, it's it's such a much larger question, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could say, you could sit there and be like, okay, well, yeah, that's all great and everything, but I, this still hurts and it's still no fun to be a slave, and et cetera, et cetera. To right. which I, what an aggressive debater, if I was an aggressive debater, I would say, okay, cool. So what are you doing about it? And right. why is it that you get to live in a country where we can have this conversation right. out in the open right. and no one will come in and set you on fire? You well, know? and and I, I think, you know, one of the things, if I can use a football analogy. Oh, you can. Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, and I will. Um, That's where I go make a sandwich. I know. Andy's, Andy's, Andy's a hockey That's guy. Fine. So um is that is that that you were playing a lot of defense and no offense and yeah, so I said, i'm just not that guy man I'm i know not- no, no no i know i know i know i know it's not listen i i this is nothing this is nothing about you interacting with him as individuals this is more if i were if i if i were in that conversation with you i'd have just been going okay so let's let's play suffering out on your worldview Right. Right. There is no hope. There is no meaning. There is no significance. There is no greater good. It just sucks to be you. That's it. <laughs> you just you hit the unlucky lottery. It sucks to be you. And that's all we can say. That's right. all we can say. So yeah, see that me, that to me is like almost it bums me out. That that's that's really the only way that it goes in my head, you know. Yes. Sucks to be you. Magic didn't work out for you. Yes. Yes. You know? And 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 so so and and then the other thing. Now again, I'm getting into the, the debatey part. I mean, if we're having a beer, it's a different, it's a different conversation because then it's then it's like, dude, tell me about tell me about how the church disappointed you. Tell me about how God let yeah. you down. Cause he's let me down too. Right? That if 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 certainty is what we're after with Jesus, we'll never have it. And if 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 not ever hurting is what we're after with Jesus, then we'll never have it. See, that's that's the contractual idea of faith that I think was kind of at root of some of the questions that were sitting behind this. It's like, we're, we're talking about two different things. Mm-hmm. The covenantal faith in Jesus has nothing to do with whether or not bad things happen to you. It, it has to do with this greater work that God's doing because of its fallenness to put creation back together. Now, all kinds of questions with that, but my point is, Listen, if if the goal of biblical faith is to get out of pain, man, we're in trouble. That's not that's not biblical faith at all, unless you're you know some prosperity person. But for me, and, wait and this a minute, is, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm not going to be rich <laughs> more than you are? No, here. no. I know Shit. it's shocking. I know, bro. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've sent my seed money into TBN so many times. <laughs> I made my nothing. vows, dude. Don't you dare discredit my vows. Okay, I'm sorry. I just I completely derailed. <laughs> no, this is so good, Mark. Um, the other thing that, and this is a, a Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, you know, sort of sort morons. of morons, morons, um, sort of point is: listen, why are you protesting so much? What isn't your protest evidence of the fact that you know it shouldn't be this way? Isn't your broken heart evidence of the fact that you know that relationships shouldn't be this way? Huh. Is it all the energy you're spending in antagonism? See, I find I find a lot of atheists to be incredibly spiritual people, 
because of how much they think about the God they don't believe in and how much they protest against the God they don't think is real. And I find that I find that incredibly interesting when I'm around people like that because they they spend more time thinking about it than a lot of religious people do. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> and so hmm. so to me I'm hearing all of this and I'm going where where's that coming from? I mean to me that is all evidence of the fact that we know we were made for something bigger. And and he's protesting at least it sounded like it. And, and, and again, nothing against him at all. I, I thought it was beautiful, some of the things he was saying. But it's protesting the God that should be there and wasn't. Right. The faith that should have sustained me and didn't. And the one option he's not considering, at least I didn't hear considered, was that the, what the conception of faith he would bought into wasn't the right one from the very beginning. And hmm. that that one was bound to disappoint him. And that conception of God was bound to be hurtful to him because he was, because whatever it was he was presented with, wasn't the real true, good and beautiful gospel of Jesus to begin with. Yeah. So, and again, you couldn't get into any of that. And I'm not, bro, I'm not saying you should have said any of this. I'm just commenting as I'm hearing you comment on that conversation going, man, I, I think that as, as our listeners go back and listen to it, We'll all find ourselves there, man. Just in yeah. a, in a conversation, it's like, dude, what 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 in the world? Well, okay, here, let me uh, let me sort of change things up just a little bit, and I'm sure that's. <laughs> but it's also it's a continuance of that of that of what you just said. As far as like the 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 gospel that he heard wasn't the right one from the beginning. Yes, okay? a point was made during the debate um, about. The New Testament versus the Old Testament, and why is you know if if God is this definer of good and evil or a definer oh, of yes. righteousness, this and was how, huge. How come he how how can he change? You know, did he change? Because why is the New Testament so different from the Old Testament? And then of course the age old slavery, yeah. which I had to go back and listen to, and I have to say this because I wasn't sure. I was so frustrated during this conversation that I would forget things that I actually said or tried to say. Yeah. Yeah. I did try to make the point of bond servants versus slaves. And Mm -hmm. I've I've done some research on it and just to know the the problem that many of us get into, and this is really more about getting yourself stuck in a debate type of situation is a confidence in the things that you believe and a confidence in, in what you've learned and making sure that you remember it. I'm not a fan of, I am an apologetics, a plus student. I have all these terms. I think we saw (laughs) during that conversation that those terms do not help. Right. And and really, you know, the, the, the silver bullet Christian apologetics thing has always been sort of horseshit for me. I don't, I don't see it as playing out in the real world practically you know yeah. i think of the i think of the scene in napoleon dynamite when you know rex quando is trying to show how to oh, i'm in you <laughs> had to be forgot this about way it. the arm is out perfectly straight the knife is coming down you know those types of de- defenses are pointless but i think he was you know his his point was why is this god so different you're saying he's this loving God and that he doesn't change. Why is he so different in the New Testament as he is from the Old Testament? And then there's this sort of blanket. He encourages 
slavery. Right. And he, you know, he teaches uh, people to rape and pillage, et cetera, et cetera. So, right. you know, when we talked earlier about, you know, you walk away from a conversation, oh, why didn't I say that? You know, yes, yes, always. This, this is one of those big ones where I, you know, I tried to say, again, I sort of retreated and said, hey, man, if, if, if this is the will of God, I'm, I'm, I, I have to simply accept it. You know, I think that's an incomplete answer on my part. And definitely, not only did I fail in, in the debate, but I think I failed him in giving a, a good explanation and a good defense of, of the truth. You know, I wasn't trying, I, I wasn't attempting hard enough to, to go for an opportunity there as opposed to just explaining something away. Does that make sense? It does, but could I could I push back just a little bit on the idea that you failed, yeah. and and only because let's say I mean let's let's play this out three or four different ways. Was there anything you could have said that would have satisfied him? I just needed better zingers, man. Zingers. Nope. See, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think so. I think I think for a lot of and I'm not saying this about him. I don't know him at all. Um, but I think a lot of people have settled on that issue. And no matter what kind of answer you give, it's it's never going to meet the criteria. I mean, he even said that a couple of times. God knows right. what would make me believe. I don't even know what would make me believe. So, so one idea is that success means I can answer every question to their satisfaction. That's just not true. You'll never be able to do that. Even if you gave the best answer you could give, Mark, I don't know that he would have said, oh, okay, that totally makes sense. Second thing is in the environment. So the debate environment, nobody has a, has nobody's going to change their mind in that public forum. Um, and 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 to me, the 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 idea that success there would have meant you being able to have a good comeback. I just go, I don't know, man. One of the things I I liked about what you did is that you were trying to maintain the integrity of your convictions alongside of respecting him. And not, you know, not doing the Christian judgment thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if those are two values you're carrying in, it's tough to really go on attack mode um, like you could have. And so so for me, you know, if, if, if somebody says, well, what about the difference in the Testaments? I always say, okay, well, give me an example. Now, he would have had one. Uh, I, I just always I find it interesting that a lot of people don't. You know, people like will say, "Hey, there, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions." I'm like, "Great, let's hear one." Right, right. And that's just something they heard somewhere, and that's just you know, that's just a, a cheap little you know. Um, but what were you going to say, something, Annie? Well, I was going to say, I, I think uh, on the debate, it, it, it was kind of like not so much it was contradiction, but it seemed morally opposing. You know, it's like you have God leading Israel and wiping out nations for Israel's sake to take over a land. Right. And then you have Jesus on the other side saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And, it, you know, it's like it's like that's it's like he's you know Jesus is advocating for like, no, don't murder. In fact, right. like love those who would. Right. And so I think that that to me is a very clear picture of like, OK, that seems opposing. Yeah. So like how and I think it's like, how do we reconcile that? Yeah. And it's like if it, if. Because we have a lot of folks out there who hold Old Testament ideas to future truth and current truth, which seems right. to oppose what Jesus said. Right. So how how do we reconcile those things? Also, also while reconciling it, uh, I, w- I definitely want to want Mike to answer. In yeah. That, oh but, yeah. Let me give but, you the right well, zinger. But while reconciling that, I also think it's important to to stay away from the usual Christian apologetics methods. 
You know, I've heard this response to that question so many times. Well, do you know what those people were doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, you know how why, evil they were? Ugh. The Moloch and all of that stuff. And it's like, okay, that's cool. Do we know that that's really the way every single person in in Canaan was? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, I don't think we know that. So yep. anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. I like it. For anyone who's afraid, totally that's about to come out. That, so that was Mike's direction. Thanks for, thanks for <laughs> making me look Boom. smart by not using my, my fastball there. <laughs> no, I mean, first of all, that's a hugely important question. Um, and so, so you know, I, I, I think the scriptures itself give clues to the, to the resolution of it. And so here are clues. I don't know. Um, it, it's always tough. When by the standards of morality, three or four thousand years later, um, it, with a culture three or four thousand years removed, with differences, huge differences in langu- language and societal structure and all of those sorts of things, it's it's tough um, to make to make really accurate moral judgments because what the scriptures seem to teach is all the pictures of God that we get are true, but they're incomplete. And that the only full one we get is in Jesus. And so the scriptures itself say, listen, God spoke many times in many ways, but only Jesus is the exact representation of his being, the, the true essence of his like inner self. Okay. So to me, the revelation of Jesus trumps any other revelation because that's the complete one. The other ones were true, but incomplete. So is God unbelievably holy? Yes, so you get the image of the poor guy who you know puts his hand out to steady the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and he gets zapped <laughs> and David's pissed and he's bummed and he's like, come on. And so he doesn't even bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. He's just like, really? Really, God? I'm just trying to honor you here. Uh, so is that picture of God true? Yes. He's unbelievably holy. Um, uh, in him, there is no darkness, blah, blah, blah. And that's not the only true picture. The only full picture we get is in Jesus. And so for me, I don't start with Old Testament God. I start with Jesus and then work backwards. Mm-hmm. So, so that's hugely important to me. My faith doesn't start in the Old Testament. My faith starts with Jesus and the New Testament writings about him. And then I go into the Old Testament. Make sense? Yeah. I, I guess I would ask just for the sake of, of maintaining this debate kind of forum. Do it, Mark. What verse would you point to to say, there's this by this authority, I say that Jesus is the final full picture of God. What what verse would you say gives you that authority to say that? Beautiful. You know I mean? Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right, here we go. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Colossians 1, 15 and following, Colossians 2, 9 and following, sucker, John 14. <laughs> if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Luke 10, yeah. where Jesus says. Listen, the only one that reveals the Father is the Son who knows him. Oh, yeah. Suck on that, godless list. <laughs> so, so. But he doesn't uh, read the Bible, so it just doesn't matter. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it's for me, I, I think it's so unbelievably clear that what Jesus is doing is revealing the heart of the Father in ways the Father has never been revealed before. And one of the ways he does that is by calling God his Father. And so Israel was considered God's son, and they used father language, but not like Jesus did. Israel um, was, uh, so So if you look at the bi- biblical story at like the, the highest level, 
there there were three God sons in the scriptures. One was Adam, and and the first part of Genesis is about his failure. The second is Israel, and that was about their collective failure to be God's son. And then you have Jesus. And so the way God is interacting with Adam, um, with Israel, and then with Jesus, are it's all very revealing. And there there's remarkable consistency across all of that. So there's much more mercy in the Old Testament than people give God credit for. And there's much more harsh in the New Testament than people give the New Testament hmm. credit for. I mean, you have Ananias and Sapphira who right, lie right. about giving and they just fall over dead in the early church. Where right? you've got Jesus saying things to the most esteemed religious leaders. So that'd be like us rebuking Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, right? When he's rebuking the Pharisees and calling them children of snakes and whitewashed tombs. I mean, they're so insulting. And so... Or Jesus, you know, using a whip to clear up the temple. You've got it's a it's a much it's a much more um, consistent picture, I think, than what people realize. So the first thing I'd say, and so I got three answers for you. First thing I'd say is, listen, the image of Jesus is the full revelation of the Father. All the other images are true but incomplete. And if there's ever an inconsistency between the image of God we see in Jesus crucified and other images of God. That's one of the ways I resolve it. It's just to say, listen, the final and fullest image of uh, of God that we've received is in this person, Jesus. And, and Jesus himself says that as well as the New Testament writers. Second thing I say is, and you were going there in the debate, and this is where we got onto the slavery thing, but God was always ahead of his time. In other words, even when God would give instructions, they were super revolutionary for the day. Okay. And and so you were starting to say that, and you were it's the slavery example is one of those. Um, how Israel was to take care of the prisoners of war they would take, right, um, right. Uh, the way women were to be treated. I mean, by our egalitarian standards, horrifying, but by the standards of the ancient Near East, hugely revolutionary. In almost every instance, you can say this was an advance on the current practice. And divorce was something you guys brought up as a concession that God would make to human hardness of heart. But his intention was always one man, one woman. And you brought up polygamy as a great example of God allowing our failure for the sake of our freedom, for the sake of our love of God freely given. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. I'm following you. Third. I'm just taking notes. So. Got <laughs> <laughs> it. Oh, Mark. You, let's let's watch Mark's Twitter account after oh, this and see how Mark, much stuff we put together. I love you so much. <laughs> I just, I feel like we need to fly you out because this is your, this is your native land, bro. Out uh, here, this I'm Florida homesick. thing. I mean, that's old people. You're not old. Homesick. This is God's waiting room. I got here early and I don't, I have, I've read every magazine. <laughs> Beautiful. Um. Uh, but we'd have so much fun, dude. So you need to come out. And if you come out, we need to fly you out. That's what we need. We need to collect $300 for a Southwest ticket. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. I have, I still have a voucher for Delta. I can fly out there on Delta's dime. Boom. (laughs) Um, and, and then we can just record podcasts and I'm all uh, right with that. And what kind of beer do you like? I mean, I think we had this conversation, but I forget what you said. I'm a rum drinker. Beer destroys my stomach. Although if I do have uh, a beer yeah. or two, mm. um, I prefer a very rich, mm. very chocolatey, very uh, oh, espresso-based stout. Nitro only, please. Don't, please mm. don't mess with the nitro-free stouts. 
froth frothing over here what time is it i want to <laughs> set a penny on top of the foam we're going to edit this out stay there because we we did a whole podcast on why Coors Light is the king of beers. So, oh lord, <laughs> oh my god! So again, the authority of one man's opinion. <laughs> it's the similarity in Coors Light's packaging to the Ohio State uniform. That's exactly. The, oh <laughs> yes! Oh, finally, oh. someone caught it. Oh. Someone finally caught it. <laughs> it's a no-brainer, man. Oh, that is genius. Oh, he's he's doing the. What are you doing right now? Because I'm <laughs> yelling you down. Oh my goodness, bro! That was <laughs> listen. That was worth the price of admission, and that's our title. <laughs> Mark notices the similarity between the Coors Light can and the Ohio State University uniform. I love it. All right, and then here's the here's the the third thing I would say always in that context uh, is it's ultimately a false dichotomy. And I've already hinted at this is it is that there's more mercy in the old Testament than we realize and, and more judgment in the new than we realize, but it's, it's all the story of grace, whether it's Adam, Abraham, Jacob, um, uh, Israel, it's always God would make a way for his people or anybody to call upon his name and to come back to him. And, uh, and that that story is universal and that's, and that's the story of covenant. These, these agreements God would make to put the world right now, the, the, the counter that Godless made to that way of thinking that I heard in the, in the podcast was, well, then how come he just doesn't do it all at once? Why don't you just start (laughs) with, with, uh, Hey, uh, no polygamy, no, um, no, whatever, Instead of working within the framework of fallen culture, and, and the answer for me is, well, God's a missionary God, and good missionaries know you don't go in and you, you don't fight secondary battles. The issue isn't how many people you're sleeping with. The issue isn't your sexual orientation. The issue is, is your heart, right? And and you Correct. can address all of the symptoms and never deal with the root. You can address and what so what God's after in human history is a people gathered around himself pulled out of human history who freely have surrendered their rights to their lives and to whatever degree they think they have them uh, to uh, achieve with God his purposes uh, for the renewing of all creation. That's what he's after. He's not after souls in heaven. He's not after sin management. He's not after keeping you healthy and happy. What he's after are cooperative participants in the work of renewal. That's what. That's the. That's the reason he created. We we will be doing the work of renewal forever on a renewed earth. And and so for me, all of that, the fact that God actualized that kind of universe requires then that he work with us in the midst of our failures and screw-ups because he's given us freedom. Now, you could say, well, God should have done it differently. Okay. Great. (laughs) Show me the blueprint. Right. To which then I would go a little bit on offense and say, okay, well, let's talk about the world you would have actualized. Or let's talk about the worldview you have and why it is that you think that we have freedom and rationality and morality and we're just we're just human blobs. Right. If if we're soulless, if we're mindless, and we're just our brains, if we're just our bodies, if this really just all evolved from nothing and will end up in nothing, then what right do you have to have even an opinion on this stuff? Right? I mean, if your if your right. brain is truly just the result of randomness, well, come on. So so at that point, I always just try to go. Well, all right. 
you we've brought this conversation to an end. You object to the universe God made. Okay. Right. The, let's talk let, let's talk about the universe you think exists and let's poke holes in that, right? Because that's not fully consistent either. And because it may be intellectually consistent to say, yep, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no nothing, but nobody lives that way. Nobody lives that way. When you're in pain, <laughs> you're not sitting there saying, yep, this is for nothing. You're looking for purpose. You're looking for meaning. You're looking for significance. That is just part of who we are. You cannot escape it. Huh. So anyway, that, if, I mean, I, again, these conversations are always better had over Coors Light uh, and, uh, <laughs> and in boxer shorts in a jacuzzi, usually among brothers. <laughs> See, Mike doesn't even wear trunks in a jacuzzi. Wow. He no, just, just goes boxers. <laughs> super bummed right now. <laughs> yeah, you, actually, you should be because um, they're very I, they're very small boxers. Oh no! <laughs> I think I. <laughs> so, did you finally find your uh, your thong boxers? Wow, man! I know, dude. Congratulations. It, listen, <laughs> um, my my Australian friends call them banana hammocks. Yeah, plum smugglers. So, uh, you know, uh, the missus really likes this. I'm sure she does. And I think your mom will approve. <laughs> <laughs> my, I know my mom just goes, really? Can you try to be professional I, I, in any way, shape, or form? One thing I would just a- ask, I guess, or not be afraid to observe, is that with all of this morality and and, and all this moral subjective behavior, you know, and do we live like there's a purpose? I still think it all keeps going back to what I was trying to say. And I just don't know that I, I said it all that well, it, partially because when I listen back, it's like, I'm, I have to hear my voice and the sound of my voice talking. <laughs> totally. Sucks. I know. I, mean, I just, know. I think, what is that? I think you have a great voice. You listen and I listen back and I'm like, what am I? That's not even a word, man. Like <laughs> mumbling a couple syllables, you know, people have had to listen. All I can think is people have had to listen to that whenever they've talked to me for my whole life. Oh, geez. Oh, God. No wonder I have no friends. <laughs> that is not true. Uh, when I listen to my voice, it's nasally and it, it just sounds... It sounds like the voice of a fat guy. <laughs> and and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that if I lose some weight, my voice will get a little more Eddie Vedderish. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. The of voice course. of a skinny guy. Be much better. I, uh, I, I just don't know that I'm ever gonna get there. Mine just sounds I still feel like I sound like that kid who was nicknamed Rainbow as a child. Like I'm <laughs> I still have this giant head, you know jacked up teeth we not always, a very strong neck and just you know i mostly just bounce around while i'm talking that's what like it sounds it. like it sounds like i'm i'm a bobblehead yeah. i would i would have been friends with somebody named rainbow i guarantee <laughs> that i guarantee because well. i had one friend his name was travis in the seventh grade and we just hung out that we just were uh, we were just friends with each other we needed no one else so <laughs> rainbow could have joined that party Absolutely. I would have. Now, now back to the morality thing. What were okay. you trying to say? What I was trying to say was, we. I still think the question that was never answered 
by him in particular, and I'm not trying to attack, but it's a question that doesn't ever get answered, really. I mean, I've had this conversation many times regarding universal morality and and if it's viable, you know? Yeah. I still maintain that this is one area of offense that Christian people need to seize on like a pit bull because oh. it's everything. It's all the stuff we're talking about, all the moral questions and moral quandaries that are being presented still fall under this thing of morality. And, you know, if God is a jerk, that's a moral observation that you're making, you know, that's a moral judgment that you're making. And so you still have to ask the question, where is the authority of this? Where, where is this final question of morality? And like, do you think that that's a, that I have a point there. I mean, is that, is that the way to go? I, I'm, I don't know if I'm restating something that's been discussed already, but I, I feel like it, it's, it bears specific focus that moral objectivity and moral relativism or subjectivity and relativism. I'm sorry to use those words. Whoa. Look those, at you. Apologetics defender of the faith. <laughs> it's just bullshit though, man. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't work. He brought up the example of the of the the nine eleven and the planes, right. you know, and to me, that's a great example of what I'm trying to say. It, it, do you agree with that? I mean, do you think I? I don't. Could I have stated that better? Because I feel all, like it's first a good of all, point. I agree that you're a good man and that you have a great voice. Secondly, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that I well, uh, yeah, personally, of course, I think. I think that um, we we make moral judgments all the time without realizing how they're grounded, you know. So so he was playing the empathy card that, and and you just want to say, well, what's that grounded in? Why? Right. Why? If, if if evolutionary psychology is how we're going to understand human uh, emotion and human mind, then what's empathy do for you? You know, there's just not a whole lot. I don't. If there's no to me intrinsic value in humanness, then why not just use people? Right. And a lot of us do, you know, even if we, even if we claim kind of an objective sort of moral order, um, I always, so, so first of all, are you onto something to me? Yes, absolutely. And, and and of course he would disagree. And, and the way, the way he was answering was uh, it seemed to be that morality is community defined. But then, and this is where the 9-11 thing comes into play. Well, according to the community of the hijackers, right, right. That was totally, that was not only not only acceptable, it was praiseworthy. It was morally yeah. and religiously praiseworthy. And so if you're gonna say it's community defined, in what way can you then critique another community? Right. right. And I almost feel we we already live in a world like that. Like it's not like you know, if we look at it on that higher level of like if governments are defining how people exist in a space defined by rules and how we're supposed to treat each other, which is then justifiable by laws and ideas, that is a way that a community is trying to establish the best moral good based on its opinion in the collective of others. Right. So then, yeah, that's exactly it. Like you have Al Qaeda and Taliban. They decide, raise a ton of funding. Let's. This is what we believe in as the best moral truth that we can go by we need to wipe out the oppressor in this and we will validate that obviously we stand against that and we disagree it whether god is a part of the conversation or not just as humans they had their way we had our way how are we supposed to just sit down with them and say hey 
we're going to just disagree on these things. Let's come to some middle ground and universal truth that we should just exist. And someone like Godless could say, well, then the, the Christian morality is just another communal expression, right? Of, right. Exactly. Of, you know, in the same way the Muslim reality um, is or Jewish reality or whatever. The problem is you have to stand somewhere outside of all of those to make that judgment. Right. And so, so ultimately, and again, here, I've just found when I go into this, people just don't care. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't care if, if their uh, view is, you know, not totally morally or intellectually consistent or whatever. It's just kind of like, no, this is just kind of what I think. And, and, and it's not a big deal. I remember I learned this early on with a buddy of mine who he was an atheist. I was a theist and, and we were in college and just had the greatest conversations. And there was one day I said, bro, if I could, if I could answer everything, would you, would you buy this? And he's like, no, no way. <laughs> he said, no, I, I, I want to sleep with my girlfriend. So of course not. I'm not going to, even if you could answer all this stuff. And I realized, oh, okay. It just as it, as just as in like the, the point that there are emotional reasons that people follow Jesus in terms of wish fulfillment or guilt complex or whatever, that we would say, ah, that's probably not the best reason to follow Jesus. There, <laughs> there are those same reasons for being an atheist, right? Right, right. And, and so I just think whatever we're going to use, we got to be consistent with it. So if you're going to protest against the morality of God, which we, and here's what's interesting, bro. Um, I'm sure you've noticed this, but the objections today against following Jesus aren't intellectual as much as they are moral. So following Jesus makes you a worse kind of person is the argument because God, there was a book written several years ago. It was called Searching for a Better God. And and the assumption the guy was making is, listen, God, God has been found guilty by our modern sense of morality. God Hmm. is not egalitarian. He's not democratic. God is not um, peaceable, according to this narrative. You know, God is judgmental. God is mean. I mean, it's it's fascinating because you were getting all of that, right? And mm-hmm. you're playing the card of saying, well, how can you make those judgments? You have nothing to stand on. And he's saying, well, it's just community-based. So, of course, you were onto something, dude. Of course. The issue is, let's say you would have said it, great. Would that have mattered? No, nope. <laughs> so, you know, so it's it's like I just wish I, I had know, said it great. I, I know, bro. See, uh, even after we we finish this podcast, I, I can't go back and listen to any of them because I will literally just beat uh, myself up with, "Oh, I should have said this and I could have said that better." I just can literally cannot go back and listen because I, I I so I totally know that feeling and I hate it. I hate it. So I, I don't ever go back. Andy goes back to edit them. Bless you, Andy. <laughs> I don't. And, I, and and one of the things I love about the podcast format is there's a built-in grace there because it's conversational and it's, you know, so when you guys were getting into this debate, I can see where that was a bit confusing because you thought we're on a podcast. We're not even in the same room together. You don't know who this right. person is. And you're being put on the spot with some, you know, some, some pretty intense questions. So I, I, you know, I get that there, there was a bit of like, oh, oh, this is something totally different. Oh yeah, dude. I brought a, I brought a bag of chips and some soda to a knife. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even if you would have brought knives, see, see what I want to, what I want to just keep holding before you, Mark. And, and again, who am I? Is just the idea that you didn't fail. Um, 
that you were trying to preserve the dignity of, of this other person. You, so you were not doing ad hominems. You weren't attacking him. You were respecting him. And you were trying to uphold the integrity of your positions. And, and so, bro, I, again, I, I just kind of felt like I'm glad you brought chips in a drink. Because as you said, I used to be an apologetics guy. That's not, I just don't think that's effective. I think that is really helpful for Christians who believe. They want to know why they believe. Great. But I don't right, find right. non-Christians asking any of those questions. Hey, give me the evidence for the resurrection. Hey, show me miracles exist. Nope. They're all this moral uh, stuff that, that God isn't as moral as they are. And, and, I, and so hmm. I think that, that the fact that, that the podcast spent so much time kind of exploring that, I think that was a great thing. I think that's really helpful because that's how those conversations go anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, it's, I mean, every person, as we've discussed over and over now, and you walk away, and I should have said this, every person that finds themselves pretty much in that scenario, it started off one way. Like, you know, for instance, bellied up at a bar, having a drink, you're talking about, you know, the game, then all of a sudden politics are involved. And then suddenly this dude is a moral monster. That's how it always happens. And so bringing back, so bringing uh, chips in a drink, that's not always a bad thing, man. That's not always (laughs) a bad thing, but in a real public forum like that, I get it. I get it. And it's just, it's not a, it may not be a bad thing, but it didn't do anything for my ego. I definitely <laughs> sprained my ego on that one. <laughs> yes. But you know what, dude? It, it's, uh, I think there's something, something beautiful about, and, and it was really funny because I, you know, I know you a little bit and we've talked a couple of times. And so I was, you know, I'm, I'm a, a pretty huge Mark fan. Um, but Sweet. I loved, I just loved <laughs> the approach you were bringing, especially in the first part of the episode, when you're just kind of there with your chips and your drink, just kind of cheering everything on. Uh, and then it flips in part two. And it's like, oh, oh, it's a knife fight. And, oh, shit. And, what is happening right now? You hear the tunnel vision sort of click in and you can hear, you know, it's so great, <laughs> dude. It's so great. So it's so it not great, great, man. It is great. <laughs> It was such a bummer, man. I, I, I've been in that scenario so many times and I can just, the picture of me sitting there with chip crumbs all over my shirt <laughs> and like my mouth open, like, wait, a, uh, uh, but I thought we're not going to the movies. Like, you know, like it was just, it was, well, I, I, we, it was yeah, a bummer. I mean, we got to affirm it, man. Like I, I, Friends that I've talked to, they expect the opposite. They expect getting into conversations with Christians turn into knife fights. They're, yeah. you know, they go into it being just like, dude, like this guy said this and said that. Like I couldn't even have a real conversation because all he was saying was these things about how can you believe this and how can you believe that? And it it's in my experience, even with other Christians I'm friends with, that that's even been my own conversation. I'm like, man, like we we all should be bringing chips and a soda to these instead. Yep. So so yeah. I, I just think, hey, and what would be fun? Mark is let's do another one of these and, and let's, uh, let's try to find, um, let's try to find somebody who would disagree, uh, with us and (laughs) and let's have a, let's have a chips and a drink conversation. I'm getting my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. And how was that? My thanks to Mike Erie and Andy Lara for their time, their insight, their wisdom, and their love. And of course, 
my buddy Joey, his brother Jared, and uh, the one and only Godless there at the beginning of the show. Before I go any further, I want to stress the only way to really appreciate the context and the content of the debate we've been discussing is to go back and listen to it. Episodes 15 and 16, Pastor with No Answers. It's awesome. Uh, I think Godless makes some excellent points. He asks excellent questions, difficult questions, but it's definitely a conversation worth having. And uh, to Godless, I hope that if you're listening to this right now, sir, that you feel I represented you accurately. If you want to reach out to me, keep the conversation going. You know where to find me. And uh, that goes for you never was is too. In fact, this week we're going to try something slightly different. If you have anything to contribute to this conversation, rather than send me an email, because uh, these days, doesn't that seem like a lot of extra work? <laughs> this is what we're going to do. I will open a thread on the Never Was Facebook page. That's Facebook backslash Never Was Podcast. The thread for this episode will be open to anyone who wants to contribute. So... There you go. We'll take the conversation to the big kids table. Uh, if that works, we might just keep it going. And of course, if you want to send me an email, please do. Feel free to do that. Send one to the Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. No Z's. Uh, the website is iNeverWas.com. And uh, yeah, go back there, check out previous episodes, whatever. Uh, a couple things. Mike and Andy's website is SubversiveKingdom.com. And if you want to look up their, their podcast, on iTunes, you can find it under Subversive Kingdom, Vox, and Mike Erie. That's spelled E-R-R-E. Let's see. If you're a fan of metal, Godless and uh, Chuck, uh, the, metal, the Metal Sucks podcast, also on iTunes. And finally, on the list of podcasts from our meta podcast <laughs> that's just happened, Joey from Bad Christian Podcast has his own show called Pastor With No Answers. Again, all these shows are on iTunes. Easy to find. Do a practical search. You're there. Okay, this show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Studios. Though the audio of Mike, Andy, and I together was from the Vox podcast, and the audio from Godless, Joey, Jared, and myself was from Pastor With No Answers. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for sharing and contributing, and please hit us up on the Facebook page, man. Let's talk. Until then, be good. Rainbow out.